Welcome to PQ Talk on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. My name is Pradeep Kamath, and I'm a pediatric critical care physician at Emory University School of Medicine. And my name is Rahul Demania, a current second-year pediatric critical care fellow. Today's episode is dedicated to acute management of hyperkalemia in the pediatric intensive care unit. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Roshan George, Associate Professor of Pediatrics, a practicing pediatric nephrologist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and the Program Director of the Pediatric Nephrology Fellowship Program at Emory University School of Medicine. I will now turn it over to Rahul to start with a patient case. We have a two-year-old male with history of focal segmental glomerulosclerosis controlled on chronic prednisone therapy who presents to the pediatric intensive care unit for respiratory failure. He is noted to be hypotensive and tachycardic. His potassium level is elevated at 6.4 with no hemolysis noted. An EKG is notable for peak T waves. The patient is also noted to be aneuric. Dr. George, this case highlights some key risk factors and manifestations of hyperkalemia. Would you mind starting with a definition of normal serum potassium and how you would define hyperkalemia? Yeah, sure. First off, thank you so much, Pradeep and Rahul, for having me on. I would write jump right in and say that hyperkalemia is defined as a serum or plasma potassium that is above the upper limit of normal, which typically is around 5.5. So higher than 5.5 would be something you would consider as a high level of potassium in the serum. It's really important also to make sure that this is an accurate potassium that is checked in the lab and not pseudo-hyperkalemia which can be seen if there is hemolysis or other lab abnormalities. If that is present, a repeat sample is important to make sure that the the number is accurate. I think it definitely is important to correlate your lab sample with clinical and telemetry changes. And I'm very excited to get into this further on in this episode. Dr. George. What are some of the causes of hyperkalemia that are important for the ICU team? So when I think of causes of hyperkalemia, uh, I think of three things mainly. That's increased intake, shifts in the movement from uh, intracellular to extracellular space. And the third thing is reduced excretion, and that's mainly renal excretion. So within these three things, if you think about it, increased intake most often is iatrogenic. Most often it's from IV fluids or blood transfusion. Transcellular shift can be because of metabolic acidosis and conditions that can lead to such cases such as decay. Also can be seen in severe sepsis when there is reduced perfusion. Decreased kidney function is one big cause of reduced renal excretion. Obviously, you'll have patients who have oliguria, or other signs of kidney failure. Also important to remember is the renin and geotensin aldosterone system, if there are inhibitors of that, whether it's a medication or whether uh, due to clinical conditions. Also hypoaldosteronism state. Then a fourth piece that is important to consider are problems in the adrenal gland, such as congenital adrenal hypoplasia which again causes problems in aldosterone mechanism and you can have high potassium levels. This is a great 
basic science review and takes us back to some of the key physiologic principles in potassium homeostasis. I think the summary for our listeners is to really recognize that hyperkalemia can be caused by decreased renal excretion, transcellular shift, especially in the setting of acidosis, and decreased aldosterone states. Dr. George, we really want to drive home the point to our listeners that hyperkalemia can be frequently seen in patients with chronic kidney disease and stage renal disease, as well as those patients with acute kidney injury, especially those who have had a history of renal transplant or are going to be on nephrotoxic medications such as calcineurin inhibitors or uh, those who have a renal tubular acidosis. You started this episode by talking about some of the key laboratory definitions of hyperkalemia. Do you mind highlighting some clinical manifestations? Absolutely. Uh, So you made some great points about what to focus on in terms of uh, the clinical conditions for the patient. But you should also see when the patient is there, if there are clinical manifestations such as muscle weakness and paralysis. And this most often happens uh, because of uh, abnormality in the membrane potential, because the potassium causes the cell membrane potential to get closer to the threshold. And when it's higher, it causes depolarization. So there is abnormality in cardiac conduction. There is no specific single threshold where we can find that this is going to cause that cardiac abnormality, but usually it's thought to be above 5.5 millimoles per liter. But as the level increases, that risk increases also substantially. A level over six is clinically significant, regardless of EKG changes, uh, because about 50% of the patients may not show any EKG changes, uh, even with the levels exceeding six millimoles per liter. So earliest EKG changes uh, are PT waves, shortened PR intervals, shortening of QT. But after the potassium goes up higher, you start seeing QRS widening as um, there is increased risk of arrhythmias and ventricular fibrillation. And these are all EKG findings, but the patient can also have actual muscle weakness, syncope, and such findings as clinical presentation. This is a great point which you highlighted. And as we build on the definition of hyperkalemia, it is very important to correlate the EKG findings in our diagnostic framework, which can then springboard to effective management. Dr. George, uh, before we move on to management, are there some initial labs uh, that you want to send uh, immediately in a patient who has hyperkalemia? Yes, it's a great question. So I would say that definitely we need to make sure that all the other electrolytes are normal, including importantly that the kidney function is normal in these patients. Also, I would add that a CBC just to make sure that they're white cell count is normal because sometimes with leukemia and such conditions where those cell counts are abnormal, you can have hypokalemia and as well as making sure that acid-base balance is uh, normal. So getting a serum blood gas would be really key. Dr. George, just to tie in a point which you brought up earlier in the podcast, I think it is also important to do a medication reconciliation and check as frequently our patients are on potassium supplements or ACE inhibitors, which can contribute to the diagnosis of hyperkalemia. Thank you for highlighting that point. Let's move into the acute management of hyperkalemia. What is uh, your stepwise 
uh, management approach uh, towards hyperkalemia as a nephrologist? So I would like to really highlight that uh, if there is a potassium level that is greater than 5.5, especially if it's higher than 6, and there are EKG changes, then it is a medical emergency and needs to be handled immediately. So here the management takes precedence over finding the etiology for hyperkalemia. So what we need to do immediately is to find out um, that the patient is stable and make sure that they don't have any risks for cardiac arrhythmias. So stabilizing the cardiac membrane is the first step. So this can be achieved by giving 10% calcium gluconate, and this can be done over two to three minutes, or calcium chloride, which is about 20 milligram per kilo per dose, uh, over five to 10 minutes. And this can be repeated every five minutes or so if EKG changes persist. In a patient who is on digoxin, I just want to um, make this point that calcium is relatively contraindicated uh, because uh, in those patients that can actually worsen um, their uh, arrhythmias. In such cases, you can use uh, hypertonic sodium bicarb over 20 minutes. The second big principle uh, to think about is to shift the potassium. So you can shift it back intracellularly by giving insulin 0.1 units per kilo, but make sure you're giving glucose with it to mitigate the hypoglycemia, which is usually D25, um, giving two mLs per kilo every 30, over 30 minutes. And this can also be done as an infusion. We also usually give bicarbonate, which uh, helps shift the potassium intracellularly. And there is also um, use of beta-adrenergic agent, uh, especially um, in adults, uh, where uh, they have tried that, both infusion and um, inhaled. The long-term management is to try and excrete this extra potassium uh, outside of the body. And uh, this is achieved by using KXNH, which uh, we give usually one gram per kilo with a maximum dose of 30 grams. Uh, and this can be given rectally, um, and the action is in the colon. So if you need immediate action, then it's better to give it rectally uh, and not nasogastric neurally. I would also recommend con to consider furosemide or LASIK, giving one milligram per kilo dose, uh, and that should be something that also helps eliminate the potassium. Uh, this is especially important uh, in patients if they are in renal failure, but the effect could be um, variable in patients who have cardiac or uh, acute kidney injury. That was a great summary of some acute management steps. I think the key drive home principles are going to be stabilize the cardiac membrane, shift potassium, and work on getting potassium out of the body. One of the mnemonics I used to use in medical school regarding loop diuretics is that loop diuretics lose potassium. Dr. George, if medical management fails, do you mind highlighting your general thought process of when you consider renal replacement therapy? Absolutely. So um, the renal replacement therapy that we usually think about uh, are between two, uh, CVVH or continuous venous hemofiltration versus hemodialysis. Although in resource-poor settings, peritoneal dialysis can also be used, uh, although effects can be variable. I will say that, uh, again, to emphasize the point that while you're getting things set up for uh, this dialysis modalities, continue your medical management. So severe hyperkalemia is 
absolutely an indication for RRT, especially if it is persistent uh, and uh, in acutely ill patients. Although there is uh, no specific uh, value or clinical indicator that would be used to say that this is the absolute point at which we are going to start this. But uh, if there is intractable hyperkalemia associated with other conditions such as renal failure, we would definitely um, start um, the process of uh, renal replacement therapy along with medical treatment. Hemodialysis is a good uh, method to use in emergency uh, to rapidly reduce uh, the serum potassium. And CBVH, as we know, in the PICU for acutely ill babies or patients who have uh, poor um, vascular uh, access is really something that uh, should be considered because uh, it may be difficult to do hemodialysis in such conditions. Uh, this is also important to make sure that uh, after hemodialysis, there can be ongoing reasons for rebound hyperkalemia. So CVVH helps reduce that for a longer period of time. As we conclude today, what are some clinical pearls you have for the diagnosis and management of hyperkalemia? Some of the take-home points uh, that I would say that are important to um, remember is firstly, making sure that the potassium level is accurate. We are not seeing pseudo-hyperkalemia and it is actually repeated and you know it's high in true, the true sense and that there is no EKG changes or if there are EKG changes, you are jumping on the management of that. But as we talked about, stabilizing the cardiac membrane, getting rid of the potassium, making sure that you are not causing it by giving something that has potassium, whether it's the fluids or medications. And if you are immediately stopping that, obviously, and uh, also making sure that the next steps for continued potassium removal, such as dialysis, uh, is being considered. And after all that is uh, done and patient is stable, you can go looking at the etiology for this cause. Thank you so much, Dr. George, for your insights today. In summary, we really want to highlight not only the definition and the clinical manifestations of hyperkalemia, however, we want to highlight some key management points, as well as this thought process of identifying the underlying cause and frequent lab monitoring to make sure that patients are going to be stable in uh, the setting of hyperkalemia. Dr. George, we appreciate your insights on today's podcast, and this concludes our episode today on hyperkalemia. We hope as listeners, you found value in the short podcast, and we welcome you to share your feedback and place a review on our podcast. Pick You Doc on Call is co-hosted by Dr. Pradeep Kamat and myself, Dr. Rahul Demania. Stay tuned for our next episode. Mm-hmm.